Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We as a city, uh, we are told, are having a hard time recruiting staff and holding on to staff. People who come to work for the city of Hamilton are leaving or not being lured to come here. And so the question becomes, this came up in council the other day, the question is, what do we do about this? How do we, how do we get people to come and how do we make them stay? Well, there's a number of different things that have been proposed, a number of different solutions. However, one of them, absolutely predictably, I don't think anyone didn't see this one coming, is, you know, maybe we could pay them more. Maybe we could make it, we, we could be more, well, the pay doesn't reflect Hamilton's economic conditions. Okay. That's, I mean, sure, that's an idea. But when you consider that we just went through a budget process in which many councillors and certainly many people throughout the city were very concerned with what our taxes were going to become this year and going into the future, how do we do that? Let me bring in Councillor John Paul Danko. Uh, he was one of the councillors who had expressed over the course of the budget proceedings these kind of concerns. Councillor, thanks for doing this today. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, look, there are a number of things that were mentioned as ways that we could recruit people or ways that we could get them to stay. But obviously, you know, anytime you're talking about something like this, money is always going to come up. How, how do we talk about paying city staff more without completely then having to pay everyone else more because they're all going to want more money and then completely screwing up our tax system? Well, I think the challenges that the city of Hamilton is having with recruitment and retention are the same as, you know, all our comparator municipalities and all private businesses uh, across Ontario, across Canada right now. It doesn't matter which business sector you're looking at, whether it's public or private, everybody is having challenges uh, recruiting and retaining good quality staff. And um, it, it's something that actually in the long run affects the services that we deliver and it costs us money in the long run because we're losing uh, institutional knowledge and we're losing the experts that are you know been in their jobs for a long time and really know what they're doing so it is uh, an important challenge for hamilton i think um, when we're talking about our staff's um, opinion of, of their jobs and why we're losing uh, staff I think for the large part, most city Hamilton employees uh, do value their jobs. They, they have very high uh, satisfaction in the work that they do. But the problem is um, they're in positions that are in demand. And we're the fact is we're losing staff to retirements and to uh, recruitment by private business and, and other municipalities. So we have to remain competitive. And I, I think that's what we're talking about. And the, the financial compensation component of it, I mean, we cannot be competitive with private business. Private business can always pay their staff much higher than public sector. So that is part of the recruitment strategy and retention strategy, but uh, honestly, compensation is probably the smallest part. And, and see, and it's interesting that you say that because I think that most people listening would say, look, if you get a public sector job, it's a gold mine. And, and previous counselors have said, the public sector jobs, you've got pension, you've got benefits, you've got excellent pay. There was a report out this week that says if you work for the public sector, it's generally a 10% higher pay than in the private sector. So yeah, there are some companies that can do that, but by and large, most people working for the city are getting paid more than they would in the pub, in the private sector for their job. Well, as you, as you know, I worked as a structural engineer in private sector for 20 years before I was elected. And 
my my experience now mind you this is anecdotal but my experience is certainly that private sector pays much higher uh, definitely does if you're talking about uh, working professionals like engineers or planners um there's there's n- very few uh, engineers or planners that would be working for a municipality that are would be making more than they could uh draw privately but what what we're moving to is uh, a 50th percentile so even amongst our competitor municipalities uh, we're committing to paying our 50th percentile wage, which means we're about in the middle. And, you know, again, anecdotally from my experience in the private sector, when I worked in construction, I knew that I was getting paid 80th percentile wages. So, it, again, it, it's not the compensation that's that's the main thing that we're looking at here. What we heard from staff is concerns about work-life balance, concerns about um lifestyle and wanting to be able to spend more time with their families, that kind of thing. And I I think attitudes have shifted, uh, you know, as we've recovered from COVID and and those kinds of intangible things have become more important to our staff. So we want to make sure that we can um, be as accommodating as we can be and and provide that lifestyle that our employees are looking for. Sure. And you know what, those kind of things, I, I would hope that every employer public, private, whatever would be looking at those kind of things. And, you know, those are things that, you can work around and don't affect other people. I guess right now, am I correct that right now a number of the city unions are still in negotiations with the city for their contracts? Yes. Uh, so a number of city unions, all their contracts are due and they'll be in negotiations uh, this summer. And to your earlier point about the, you know, budgeting and making sure that this, uh, you know, that we, that we um, take into account, the tax increase that this uh, requires. So th- this was part of the 2023 budget. It was included in um, the final budget that was passed. But like I said, it, it, it has long-term impacts to any organization. If you spend a lot of time recruiting and training staff, having them on the job only for them to leave somewhere else because they get paid more or they have a lighter workload or more time off. Um, as an example, some of our professional planners that work in the planning department do more files in a year than entire small town. So if they could get paid more, have a substantially less workload in another, you know, municipality, why wouldn't they take that opportunity? So that's the kind of staff that we're trying to make sure that we can, you know, recruit and and then hang on to. What do you, okay, so, and look, some of what you're saying makes absolute sense. I don't, I, you know, there are people who, as you say, are professionals, engineers, or those kind of people who, yeah, I, I think that many people could look at that and say, okay, I, I see that. We want good people doing that. Um, not everyone who works for the city is a professional, but nonetheless, I, I get the point. But we just did come through the budget process, and there was a lot of consternation about the where the budget was going and where it will go in the future. If there was to be this kind of thing where we suddenly say, we're not paying our people nearly enough. We've got to give significant increases here of some kind. How do we handle that within a budget that doesn't let it get out of control? I think that's... When, when, by the way, let me just finish my question because a secondary thought, the largest amount of the budget, I believe in the operating budget is salaries and benefits and that kind of thing. Sorry, I just wanted to add that. So carry on. No, absolutely. And and I think there's two groups of employees that we're talking about, right? We're talking about our, our union employees, and then we're talking about our, our salaried non-union staff. And, you know, the union group is a bit different because those are negotiated. And 
even those against their you know union comparators um everybody is is competing for the same small pool of workers and then on the non-union side that's where we have a little bit more uh control over you know setting those wages outside of the uh the negotiation process but right now you know we hear stories of people accepting a job uh, for the city of Hamilton in the morning and by the afternoon, they've got a counter offer from somewhere else. Hmm. And it's, it's just the reality. This is the most competitive labor market that we will ever see in our lifetimes. And it's just a new reality that we have to adapt to. Councillor John Paul Danko, always appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. You know who else I want to hear from? A guy who I'm sure knows the answer to this question because uh, he knows his way around a good glass of whiskey. But he's not going to give the answer right now because I know he knows it and that would give it away. Um, Now, he does not know his way around a good glass of whiskey before he goes on the air at CHCH. His name is Baba O'Neill. Sir, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. And I'm looking forward to getting home and having that glass. (laughs) Lovely thing. Well, you know... I, I, I know that you are a man of, uh, of fine tastes and, um, you know, so I, it doesn't surprise me that, uh, that you would know your way around that one, but. Well, it's a tasty treat. It is a tasty treat. So, uh, you know, what was not a tasty treat for many people last night. Thank you for the great, uh, lead in and great segue. Um, <laughs> if that was a tasty treat, what the Leafs did to their fans last night would, f- was feed them a steaming pile of yak dung. It was, I can't imagine that a team could possibly have played a worse game under any circumstances in a playoff, but especially when you've been gearing up for this game for 11 months and you've known who you're going to play for at least four and you've got home ice advantage and you've got everything that you think you've got want going for you, how you could possibly deliver that performance, Bubba, I, I, I am totally speechless on that one. I have no idea. You know, it goes back to that old, well, I shouldn't say it's old, but at least a hockey analogy that kind of got famous in the Mike Babcock era where, you know, as a head coach of the Maple Leafs where he's talking about starting on time. And the Leafs did not start on time. And, and it was shocking. It was a unbelievable to see you know a, a goal in the net what a minute and 10 seconds in like the, the giveaways the uh, the swiping at the puck the seemingly lack of intensity the poor line matching by the head coach when you have the last ma- um, opportunity to change a line as the, the head coach as the home team everything the goaltending was suspect uh, it just See, I, 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 I want to say it was an off night, but it seemed more than an off night. When you said, when you started quoting from Mike Babcock about this game, I thought you were going to use his line, there will be pain. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, would have been, that would have been a more apropos line because it was, it was awful. And, and it started right from the, the pain, beginning. The pain was them as a, as a bad losing team. Yes. You're talking about a team that's supposed to be better than Tampa. Well, okay, so let's go right to the beginning here for a second, because to me, this game, um, like there was a lot of other stuff that happened, and we're not going to go line by line or minute by minute, but a minute and a half into the game when, um, oh, what's his name on the fourth line um, for Tampa? 
um, who always drives the Leafs crazy, and of course I'm drawing a blank on his name now. Oh, Corey Perry. Corey Perry, thank you. When Corey Perry swings around, leading up to the first goal, skates around the net, and Justin Hall has him lined up and could deliver what, honestly, you're a minute and a half into the game, you could deliver such a statement with a crushing hit at that point. And you let him skate right by you. You do the ole, and he comes out and sets up the goal. To me, the whole thing immediately was announced right there. Instead of something that could have dictated how you were, sent a message about how you're going to play, you sent a message about how you're going to play. It was, it was, it just changed everything immediately. You know, and, but, you know, I will say that, and I totally agree with you, Scott, but I, I will say this. They were able to get back into the game and, you know, falling behind by three goals to a team that, you know, has recently won back-to-back Stanley Cups is, is not a recipe that you want to follow. Yet, as what I believe is the superior team, they found ways to click on the power play and threaten. And immediately, immediately, their lack of discipline cost them. And, you know, you can't, I'm sorry, they can be, the Tampa Bay Lightning for the entire history as with Cooper as the head coach has had a top five power play. And you cannot, not even in the regular season, take eight penalties, including a match penalty. Yeah. Okay. So uh, to, to your point about how they got back into the game, I, I agree with that. Um and then the lack of discipline, I mean, there were a bunch of them that were stupid. Buntings was, he just got, they just announced that he got three games, which is, you know, well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I, I did think that truly that the one penalty, as soon as they made it 3-2, the penalty on camp, the alleged slash on the stick that led directly to a power play goal, um, you know, it's not about the refs, but it was a, it was a, just a brutal call under the circumstances. It really was, but they, you know what? I mean, they, they gave up, a, they gave up a bunch of other power plays. That was a poor, that was a poor call at a poor moment, but you can't, you can't give a team like Tampa, you can't come out of the gate looking either. I don't know if they were scared or nervous or intimidated or disinterested or overconfident, I, whatever of those you think it was. You can't do it. How, how the, the Maple Leafs have not, as everyone knows, have not won a playoff series in over a decade. Was it 18 years now? 19 years. 19 years. Where your sense of overconfidence might come from is, it's insanity. You should be the team that says, the only chance we have, I don't care if we're playing the Tampa Bay Lightning or we're playing the... Peewee single A whomevers is to come out and be the harder working team. That's our only chance because we've proven every other method of doing this doesn't work. I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't even know if it was overconfidence. I, I honestly may not be. I, I, I may not be. I, I, I don't think. I, I think they respect Tampa too much. Now maybe they might have shown too much respect. Here's another thing that you know not a lot of people are talking about, and this goes back to an old hockey adage in some respects. The fact that you never, you never want to surrender a goal in the first opening minutes nope. or the last couple minutes of a first of a period. <laughs> they, 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 they nailed that. 
well, they nailed that with allowing two with under 10 seconds left and, and one in, and allowed the first goal with, like you said, it was a minute and minute and change into the game. Oh, and you're doing this. And you know what? That's another thing. If you're, if you know, it's just, it's loud. It's crazy. It's a, you're, 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 you're the visiting team hostile environment and a home team just jumps all over you. That's what I think everyone expected. But it went the other way around. And that's my point, is I don't know how when you've had no success, and, and that's not an overstatement, you've literally had no playoff success in the, the I don't know if there's, a, there may be a guy on the Leaf team, is there a rookie on the Leaf team who's 18? I don't think there is, but there, there are guys who are, are young enough that they can't even, they weren't even old enough to remember the last time the Leafs won a playoff series. When you are that team, how is the desperation and the, we are simply going to outwork them, not obvious? That, I just don't get that. I, I can't fathom how that would be the case. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm laying it in the players, but I'm going to lay it in the head coach too. Sure. I think Sheldon Keith is a good coach, but I don't know. I, I'll go back to the line matching situation near and home. Like, what are you starting the fourth line for at home? When you've got, you've got uh, six players, I think, that scored 20 goals or more, including two 40-goal scorers, and Mitch Marner, who has had the season of a lifetime. Why are those guys on the ice? That's playing... Why are they going... What, what, what kind of mentality is that? That's playing not to lose instead of playing to win. That, that's you're, you're taking... Yeah, but you're taking a defensive posture right off the bat. Rather than dictating the game... You are letting Tampa dictate the game because now you're going to match them. And I know home ice advantage, you get to match up. And there are circumstances where you're certainly going to do that. But right off the bat, you're absolutely right. Right off the bat, it sent a message that oh, Tampa Tampa has control of this game. Before the puck was dropped, Tampa had control of that game. And there's that. And, and help me out here. And this is where I, I, I thought to myself when this deal was made, I was like, wow, the Leafs just made a move to get themselves out of the first round. And the fact that they went out and got the likes of Anola Chari and they went out and got Ryan O'Reilly, to me, that was the perfect solution in the sense that you could now put four effective centers. What do they always say when you look at Tampa Bay, when you look at Stanley, Colorado, you look at all the teams that win Stanley Cups, their strength down the middle. Why on earth is Tavares on the wing, and and uh, uh, Ryan O'Reilly playing center on the second line. Why not put Achari as your fourth line center, uh, uh, O'Reilly as your third line center, and of course Matthews and, and Tavares as you have all season. Well, they're going to do that now uh, for game oh, two. Oh, it looks oh, like. Oh, oh, but no, no. I mean, look, I agree with you. Because again, as I said, when I was introducing you coming in, you have, you've had 11 months gearing up for this and four months knowing who this team was going to be, you're going to play and two months or more since the trade deadline. And you now play one game and everything that you had planned for in that entire time, you've just tossed out. What kind of plan is that? If, if you, if you can't, if your plan was so bad that you have to abandon it completely after one game, what was the plan? I don't, I don't know. And, and, and you're right about knowing who your opponent was going to be. Two things on that. Boston got off to that quick start so early in the season. They had, they had created such separation between them, Tampa, and Toronto that it was, there was, you know, especially based on the one point uh, 
loser point system in the National Hockey League. It was virtually impossible unless Boston lost 20 games in a row mm-hmm. that they would ever be caught. So it was apparent. It was obvious. You had no competition from Buffalo or Ottawa or Detroit who are going to be in the Atlantic Division for that second and third seed. So you knew you You knew. You Scott, knew. You just, Scott, they just they sat, what, not even two weeks ago, they played Tampa in Tampa, sat six regulars, including your two top scorers in Marner and Matthews, and, and beat them, what, 6-4-1 or whatever I believe it was? Well, and, and, last and, and last night, they also, the other thing that was pointed out was that they were missing, Tampa was missing their best defense and one of the best in the league, Victor Hedman. One who, of the who, best ever. Uh, who was injured for most of the game. And then they lost another defenseman to an injury on the bunting hit. And someone said today, someone said to me, well, they should have been able to take advantage of that. And I said, do you remember when they couldn't beat the Zamboni driver? <laughs> I mean, oh. it's not like, it's not like having somebody go out of a game oh. that the Leafs suddenly say, oh, we're going to have a killer instinct here and we're going to get at this. So here's the question though. And, and I, and I, I was thinking about this today. It, has there been for any team in the NHL, maybe in sports, but we'll start, we'll just say in the NHL. In in the NHL in the last 40 years, let's say, has there been a team that is facing as much pressure as the Maple Leafs are tomorrow night? Because if they don't win tomorrow night and they go down to Tampa for two, this series, I'm convinced, is over. They've got to win tomorrow night. They have to win tomorrow night. I don't know, and, and other teams, you know, you can say, well, you know, the Stanley Cup, the last game of the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that's... Sure, but you made it to the final. I know you want to win. This this team, these guys, Marner and Matthews and Tavar, these guys' entire reputation and legacy, in my mind, is completely and utterly destroyed if they win, if they lose this series. If if, well, if Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner lose another first round series, they are losers. Period. End of story. Doesn't matter what they've done in the regular. I can't imagine there's been a team that has faced this kind of pressure in half a deck in half a century in the NHL. Uh, you raised some interesting points, and I'll I'll take it a step further. And I don't say this with any information, uh, inside information, but I, I think it's sort of well known out there. Frank Saravalli, the you know a longtime hockey writer, uh, one of the you know, I believe the head of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Uh, wrote an article about the growing, I don't know, do I call it tension that's going on between Brendan Shanahan, the president, and the general manager. I mean, you know, and this is a guy that, you know, Shanahan that that brought this guy in here. He got rid of a Lou Lamorello, right, who's got somehow put his team in the, into the postseason again um, for, for Dubas. And, you know, he's in the final year of his contract. He has not been. Normally, guys are offered a contract extension a year before their contracts. And uh, you got to believe that there could be changes. There's also rumors of, of other teams looking around. Pittsburgh Penguins, maybe, at Dubas. Uh-huh. This team, as we know it, uh, you, you know, you talk about the bunting suspension. I truly believe that he has played his last game as a Maple Leaf. Don't disagree. You know, you know, lead, he leads the team in penalty minutes, many of them stupid penalties, and then the suspension. I mean, he just took on the, he just became the new Nazem Kadri. The new, yeah. could remember yeah. Clifford from last year. Yeah. What about Domi from a couple of years ago of just taking ill time penalties that, you know, could change series? 
I, I, um, you're right. You're right. This, this, this whole organization could be completely different if they do not get out of the first round. And tomorrow, and that's, really sad. that's sad. Actually, that, that that's the standard. Yeah, but it is. But it's because of the track record, and that to me, again, I, I don't love. I don't like their chances one bit. If they lose tomorrow and they go o two down to Tampa. I'm giving them about a two percent chance of winning this series. I just don't like their chances at all. They could, but well, I wouldn't. I, but yeah, every they got to win four out of five. Yeah, and every single loss only adds another monkey on their back. Only adds more pressure to this thing, which makes it worse and worse and worse. I, and again, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think Austin Matthews and Mitch. I think they're fantastic players. But if they lose this series, how can you be? The players they are, the great players they are, and incapable of leading your team to a single series win. Again, that's why I think their reputations, if they're not already low as clutch playoff performers, they are shredded if they lose this series. The hilarious thing is Mitch Marner had three points last night. Yeah, but... this goes to It's the most empty three points I can remember, right? Like... Two of them were mm-hmm. secondary assists, which I think is a, a discussion in the National Hockey League anyway. Like, secondary assists? Like, what is that? You know, unless... Well, there's times when a secondary assist is a bang, bang, yeah. bang play, and it's good. But there's other times when it bounces off your foot in your own end, yeah. and it's uh, 200 feet from the net. Sure, but... 50% of the time, it means nothing. I'd rather go to a basketball thing where it's just the last person to touch it. and then it, To me, that's a, a more effective way to go about it. Anyway, but, you know... I, it, 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 this is a scary place for this team to be. It's so familiar. Yes. And already the nervousness. I mean, I roll a, a clip package from media members, you know, some of them sort of more Leaf fans on, online. And I, I, I was I rather entertained by the, 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 the mania. The, but again, but they kind of, the Leafs haven't given them a reason to, to feel any different than, than how they feel right now. And that, and that is, you know, I gotta get my paper bag close to me. Like I may have to put the paper bag over my head again. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, and, and let me and let me. It's just it's just one quick point there. Yeah, yeah. Really quickly, you talked about pressure and and riddle me this and and you, hmm. you know tell me, give me your opinion here. I know it's your show, <laughs> but I gotta ask you this because you set it up about pressure. Is there is there any team under more pressure? Would it be fair to say, after all they have done this year, that the Boston Bruins are under that same pressure, especially in a place like Boston, after the year that they've had? Uh, I think Boston is under unique pressure, for sure, because you can't... I I don't think Boston has to win the Stanley Cup, but I would say that Boston is expected to do very well. If If they go out in the second round, and it's because they run into some team's scorching hot goalie, Will you say Boston was a colossal failure? I don't think so. I don't, but they've also got, Bubba, a, a recent history of championships, so you don't win one one time, despite the fact that it was a great year. Okay. Uh, the Leafs are under this kind of pressure because they've had great teams. They've been regular season giants and playoff peewees. They just, they, they disappear. And last night it looked like everybody on the team who was great in the regular season completely folded under the weight of what was going on. So I, I that, okay, I want to leave that alone for just a second because we'll probably have lots, I hate to say it, but we may have lots more time to talk about this. I do want to ask you quickly, we've got a couple of minutes. So Michael Bunting gets a three game suspension, the NHL announced. And I don't think 
there's too many people who watch hockey or understand hockey that argue the case that Michael Bunting should not have been suspended. I, I, absolutely, that hit deserved a suspension. He was kicked out. It was a match penalty. I do want to say this though, and, and quite frankly, I think many Leaf fans will be saying, okay, that's actually better. We'll get Nyes in there, the new guy, and we won't have bunting with drawing penalties. I will say, I do not for the life of me understand the NHL's player safety department. And because I thought he would get a game for this, maybe two. If you go and watch near the end of the season, uh, the Minnesota Wild, Ryan Hartman, the hit on Nikolai Ehlers yeah. of the Winnipeg Jets, it was... Every bit, I would say it was worse than what happened in this game. I mean, they were both dangerous, but it was nasty. It was way after the puck was gone and he left the man injured. And in the regular season, he got one game for that. And this is the playoffs where they generally say one game is worth two in the playoffs. And Bunting has no history, no fines, no previous suspensions. Look, I'm not defending that what he did didn't deserve a suspension. I just don't understand ever what the NHL's Department of Suspensions does because it seems like it's just a spin a wheel most of the time. Here, here are two things that, that I, I look at that. Now, I thought personally it was going to be two games. I didn't think one and, game was enough. Okay, and, and two for, I and think for, people would be okay with. I think, I think for these reasons, but I think here's what puts it over the top. It's one, his reputation, right? You're right, you're right. He has not been suspended, but he leads the Leafs in penalty minutes by a massive margin. He is also second in the league in the amount of dives that he has taken this year, which, which you, as you know, humbles and, and, and insult, is an insult to the referees. He's also a known yapper, not only with other teams, which you don't mind because you don't mind a guy that gets in the grill of other players, but he does the same with officials. Remember that this year he, got, he was basically thrown out of the rink by, by, by a linesman? Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is this is the reputation that he has built. He has stood up. I mean, this doesn't matter with the NHL, but he has stood up his head coach on the bench, which was really embarrassing to see. Um, he's got a reputation for being that kind of guy. But I think technically, if you look at the hit, two things, the puck was nowhere near the play. Right. And he left his feet. He left his feet to purposely deliver the hit to a defenseless player, and that's a massive thing. And the, had, had the puck been close, or he was battling for the puck, I think I think it maybe gets into that one or two. But it was completely the puck was nowhere near the play. I and, don't disagree with anything you said. Them. I don't disagree with anything you said. I don't disagree with the suspension with a suspension. I don't disagree with even a two game suspension. But I do just, as I say, it, it, it seems to me that half the time this department leaves people more mystified than satisfied. And this is not the first time that people have said, what is George Peros, the guy who runs it, what is he doing? And that somehow, remember when Brendan Shanahan, we got to run, remember when Brendan Shanahan did it before he became the guy in charge of the Leafs? And for a while there, he would do those videos at least explaining his it's line of thinking. That's there on NHL.com. Is it there still? Yeah, they still do, they still do they it. Still I, do I, it. I, okay. I get I get uh, the the emails from uh, from the National Hockey. All right, I didn't see and it. The and video description is there. I, it's, yeah, I, it's, it, it, here's the thing, Scott. Just quickly, is that you, you just can't allow that kind of stuff. No, like you got if you have to put an end to it. And you're right. There, has there been inconsistencies? You know, but on the general, you're 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 right. But in this particular case. 
uh, I, I I find it hard to believe that you know they were going to go light on this guy. Yeah, I think the Leafs fans, quite honestly, um, are, are not all that upset that this gives Nyes a chance to get in and gets bunting out, thinking that the refs were going to, because of that reputation, it was going to probably be a point where he was going to get a ticky-tack penalty called on him at some point that was going to be costly. So I don't think people are too upset, but anyway, it is, um, we will see. Tomorrow evening, we will see well, what happens. Listen to all the conversation we've had and the conversation has gone on for the entire day. And this is only after one game, Scott. Well, it's one game because it's it's one game, but it's actually eighteen or nineteen years. That's the problem. It's uh, that this conversation is not being had in any other area or any other hockey market because no other hockey market has literally ripped the intestines and internal organs of their fans out year after year, stomped on them and stuffed them back in, and said, "Come back next year for more torture." That's what they do. Uh, you can see Bubba every night on CHCH. Appreciate this you doing this. Thank you. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.